So as I read the scriptures, I'm hoping that you will look for uh, terms of king and kingdom. And, you know, Christ King Sunday is a little bit foreign to us. It's hard to kind of fathom what that's supposed to mean. So I hope that we will enter into that and you'll be asking the question, so what for me as we go through the scriptures in the sermon? John had a revelation and he sent this description of it to the seven churches in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming in the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth shall wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, the Greek word for almighty there is pantokrator. Say it with me. Pantokrator, one more time. Pantokrator. It's all, panta is all, and krator is sovereign. So Christ, the almighty, is sovereign over all. His kingdom reigns forever. And then in the Gospel of John, we see a very different picture of a king, a king that is facing his demise. At his trial, Pilate enters the headquarters again, summons Jesus and says to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. King Jesus, dressed in non-regal robes of tattered and worn love, Help us to see you here, to hear you, and to know you, that we might know ourselves as your subjects, citizens of your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. So the whole idea of Christ being the king is a little foreign to us Americans. And this was brought home to me as I sat in the Hall of the Presidents at the Magic Kingdom just a week ago. (laughs) Because as only Disney can, they explained it so beautifully that we don't know about these kings because we came from being formed basically in relief to an imperial kingdom that was oppressive. 
And our forefathers imagined a new form of government where there would be no king. There would be a president that would be elected by the people and for the people and would be responsible to the people. It was a very Presbyterian system, if you'd like to know. Very grassroots. And we were meant not to be imperialists, but to hold up a torch, a light, a beacon to the world, that we would be a beacon of freedom. No wonder it's hard to identify with Christ the King Sunday as Americans. It's even maybe unpopular to think of Christ being king over all. So I thought I'd try to help you identify a little bit more with kingdoms and empires even in America, and I thought I would start with this king who you may recognize. <laughs> now, he has a kingdom and it's magic. It has all of the aspects of a kingdom. It has a territory around it, certainly a train that goes around it. Um, and actually, he has more than one kingdom, doesn't he? He's got an animal kingdom as well. And then he's got all of Hollywood. It used to be MGM, but now it's Hollywood. And he's got Epcot, which is the current world and the future world. So I think that King Mickey is actually an emperor, as he has more than one kingdom, right? And if you talk to anyone who is a citizen of Orlando, you will know that Disney is an empire to be held back because their lives are shaped by Disney. Perhaps we can relate to kingdoms and empires even in the United States. Most of our empires, you might think, are economic, right? Well, probably because we're capitalists. There, there's Bill Gates and Microsoft, right? A long time ago, there was Rockefeller. Um, there's Trump. Trump is a, is a, has a great kingdom, and he's learning to be president after having been king for a long time, which is good. And there are football empires, aren't there? There's um, Ask um, Bear Bryant or Nick Saban, coach of Alabama. They have quite an empire going. Some churches may actually be kingdoms. I pray that ours never was. I know it's not now. Some families can look like kingdoms. There's a king or a queen who is in charge. I think that maybe we are more knowledgeable about kingdoms in the United States than we think. And in fact, I wonder if the, the original forefathers that created this country actually created a whole bunch of little kings and queens that we all have our kingdoms. The, the Greek for that would be the autocrater, the self-sovereign with their iPhone and their i this and their i that and their i everything. Yeah, we are all perhaps kings and queens. Well, 
even in the virtual world, you can see that, um, that kings and empires are alive and kicking. In fact, I could not count all of the video games that have to do with kings and empires. Uh, it's, I think it's in our blood, y'all, this kingdom building, this empire building. We might know more about kings than we let on. Well, all along, God's people were looking for a king. They, we talked about this before. They, they thought that they should have a king like those other kind of real nations. You know, God's nation was in formation, and, and they've got a king over there. We want a king. And God says, no, 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 I am to be your king. And finally he gave in, and so there was Saul, who was a great king, except he was immoral. And, and then there was David, who was really amazing, like you could put him up on any pedestal, but he was immoral. And, and then there was Solomon, who was very wise, but also immoral. And then there's, there, there's all these kings, all the way through Kings and Chronicles, and the Bible describes them as good kings and bad kings, and let me tell you, the good ones we can count on one hand. They were all bad. Meanwhile, there was a kingdom that was growing. The Roman kingdom grew so greatly that it became just like uh, Disney World. It became multiple kingdoms. They, one king couldn't handle it all, so they had to divide it up and put a king here and a king here and a king here. And thus we have King Herod over Jerusalem when Jesus was born. And we needed, for all those kings, a king of kings, which was the emperor, of course. And the emperor Augustus, first emperor ever, 27 B.C. to 14 A.D., right across the birth of Christ. God's timing is impeccable, isn't it? Just when the world was reeling from, from power abuse that it had never seen before, here came King Jesus, born in a manger. Wonder what his kingdom would be like. So, the Roman emperors over the years were deified. After they died, they they were made God, and they were worshipped. They built temples to them, like this one that was built for Emperor Trajan in, um, in Pergamon in Turkey. Temples all over where people gathered to worship these, form, these dead emperors, now gods, maybe they would bless them with power and prestige and wealth as they had in the past. Now you know that the oppressed were not worshiping at these temples. Well then came the emperor Domitian. Domitian declared himself to be God while he was alive. He built this statue 
much like Sam Houston down on 45. It was big enough to be seen from from the, uh, the port, the seaport, all the way into the city. Domitian, the ruler of all, he built his own statue, Sam Houston. His was built by people who loved him and honored him. Domitian required that, that you worship him. And he ruled from 81 A.D. to 96, just as the little fledgling church was getting on its feet. And the seven churches that John's revelation was about were in the realm of this fearful and horrible leader, Domitian. They were persecuted because they wouldn't worship him, this self-proclaimed emperor, certainly an autocrater, self-sovereign. And so John had this revelation in this time of hopelessness for this little fledgling church. And it said to them that Christ is coming and he is the, not the autocrator, he's the pantocrator. He is over all of the kings. He is sovereign over everything, even squirrely Domitian. A word of hope for the hopeless church. Now how that little church at Ephesus where Domitian's statue was or any of the other seven lived out in those next years, we don't know. But what we do know is that the church survived the Roman Empire and survived every empire afterwards, even capitalism. Christ's kingdom is above all. It's not of this world. There is truth there that is beyond what we see, even in America. Well, today in a in a country that is maybe full of little autocrotters like you and me, self-sovereign people of our own of our own kingdoms, in a in a country that is still building, uh, we're building our little empires, even if we are in denial about it, where where. We continue to be about power that is not love, where we draw lines that separate people, the ins and the outs, and we're always on the ends if we're drawing the lines. Where the warring may not have bullets, but it does have dollars, and the oppressed are labeled and put in boxes. What does it mean to be a citizen of Christ's kingdom? What is the good news of the Pantocrator, the one who is king of all? 
And who gets the good news? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So what does that mean for us? What does it mean to be a subject in Christ's kingdom? I found this quote from a a Jesuit priest from the 1700s. His name is Jean-Pierre Cassad. And he says, All that God asks for is love. And if you search for this kingdom, where God alone rules you can be quite sure you will find it. For if your heart is completely devoted to God, abandoned to him, your heart itself is this treasure, this very kingdom which you desire so ardently. Abandoned to the king. Those are un-American words. except when we realize and look in the mirror that we're all little autocrotters running around. Abandon to the king. If you were going to abandon yourself to a king, you, you would have to trust that king supremely. And that king would have to be a good king, a trustworthy one, one who loved his subjects, his people. I think I'm going to be meditating on that this week. I hope you'll join me. Well, I thought to illustrate such abandonment, I would show you this video. It's a video of, um, that's a scene set in World War I when, when a king was taking on the world. There's power struggles worldwide, lines drawn to oppress and to dominate. There's empire building and there's war. And yet this video speaks to a truth and a kingdom that goes beyond all of the empire building, power grabbing. And it shows what can happen when two men are abandoned to the king. Take a watch. Jenkins, I'm clean. Night.
Mein Bruder kommt! Mein Bruder kommt! Jim? Jim, don't, don't do it! Halt! Hey. Er ist nicht bewaffnet! Nein, Otto! My name is Jim. My name is Otto. Pleased to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. Rose, she's calm. It's schön. It's schön. Abandon yourself to Christ the King. The world would be a very different place. Let us pray. King Jesus, we don't know what it is to be subjects in your kingdom, citizens. citizens that are loyal to you as to a king. Teach us. Help us to live abandoned to you. That your kingdom would come. Even if it's just right in front of us. Because your love flows through. Pantocrator, we worship you. Amen.